Miami, the Playboy's paradise. Pretty girls, fast cars. That's just a facade. The bridge separates South Beach from my Miami. The real Miami. The MIA. This is where we hustle. Every day I'm hustling. 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 Every day I'm every day I'm every day I'm hustling. Who you suffer think you're tripping with yet? Opening episode of Champion Your Spirit with Cornelius Walker. I'm your co-host, Eric Butts. Welcoming you to what I believe is going to be one of the most inspirational things you've ever heard in your life. Welcome to your own podcast, Cornelius Walker. Thank you, Mr. Eric Butts. It's an honor and a pleasure to be here. Dude, so happy to be doing this with you. This is something we've talked about for a while, and I feel like is the beginning of what is going to be a journey you're going to look back on years in the future and go, damn. Just like you're going to tell people here, I should have done that earlier. Absolutely. So the podcast is going to be called Champion Your Calling. You've given me a list of many names you had to choose from. Why from all of these great names like Soul Compass, Reclaiming Hope, Fight or Fit for the Fight, why Champion Your Calling, the one that really stuck most to you? Well, I think it's it's in the words. Um, you know, a lot of and, and, and as, as you said, um, there's probably five, maybe even ten of these that are great names. They're all good. But but how can you describe um, what you want and what you want to do in as few words as possible? And um, in, in in my mind, um, we are all born with a calling. Okay, all of us. I mean, yes. no matter how big, how small, no matter what. And, you might see it right. or hear the call. Right. But it's there. We all have one. Absolutely. And, and of course, anything you do, no matter how big the task or how small the task, you want to be your best at. Of course. And that, this is just another word for being a champion, being your best, doing your best. Yeah. So champion your calling. Be the best at what you actually truly want to be. Not what you think you're supposed to be. Not what maybe your parents or your peers are doing because you don't have it figured it out yet. Please figure out your calling. Usually your calling is just that. It's calling to you. You yeah. just have to open your ears to listen. And now you had your calling come from a lot of pain that pushed you forward. Give people who are listening. By the way, I'm going to give a little background on Cornelius Walker. He's a guy who, in my life, I don't know anybody who's been through as much pain as Neil Cornelius has, and just come through it with a different outlook on life. It's actually, he's proof that pain can either cripple you or it can make you stronger. And when you see the guy I'm sitting across from who's in his late 40s, looks like he's 30 years old, could be competing at Sir Island, which he was times in his youth. It's like, man, He's the definition of push through pain and it will equal fulfillment. You know, everybody wants muscles, nobody wants push ups. You've done the work. Yes. So tell everyone where that pain kind of began. Where did your journey start? Well, my journey started uh, just being a a really little kid, um, even amongst little kids, and um, being exposed to 
uh, a lot of different things, um, mostly church, um, but also, you know, having cousins and, and whatnot that I looked up to. And, and for some reason, for some reason, uh, as a little kid, I knew there was, you know, a few things I wanted to do. Uh, well, I wanted to be a big guy because small to me at the time. It was weak. Sucked. It felt, it just, just, it felt it, weak. For lack of better words, it just felt terrible to be yeah. a little kid. I'm not just little, but I'm little. Tiny. Right. I was an introvert as well. Like, I didn't really start speaking like a lot until like uh, puberty, 14, 15 is when I started to be more sociable. So I was also an introvert. So now I'm small. I'm the only black kid and uh, introvert at the same time. But my dreams were 10 times the size of me, you know, um, and I had um, like people in my life that I could see that I would be something like that. I never, ever wanted to be someone, but I would always say I want to be like, like that, that in a way that the way they make a room of people feel when they walk in that, you know what I mean? Yeah. I never wanted to, to be actually them. I always just wanted to be me. I just wanted to have a better label on me. Makes sense. <laughs> not, maybe not so small. Like you don't need to put on your reading glass to see it, first of all. But yeah. And now, you know, the point of any, any podcast or anything that you put out there as content is to connect with people. Yeah. Who are the people that you really want to connect with? I, I, I want to connect with everyone as would anyone, but uh, truthfully, um, if it was a, it, up to I really prefer uh, connect with those young younger people. Um, yeah. We're talking about high schoolers, junior high, um, because they can understand uh, what your calling is. I mean, at a certain point of, at your age, if someone said, "What's your calling?" You'd be like, "Call who?" You know, they wouldn't know. Yeah, yeah. Know, but then at a certain point, you know, you know, and I would probably say, you know, early teens. You know, um, these people need to hear that. Yes. You are going through hard times. I don't have to know your name, where you live, what you're doing. How old are you? Yeah. It feels like it, isn't it? Yeah. And um, so that means this is for everybody. And your problems are temporary, okay? And, and, and there's, there's purpose in your pain. And we, we want, I, I just want to let you know um, from a practical sense, I've lived through it. I've done it. And I know others that have. As a matter of fact, most great people in all diverse things that they do in life that are great have generally have had hard times and they have a story then you'd be surprised and wonder how they made it through yeah very few people make it to greatness we look at them at the end and we're like wow they've got the greatest life ever but then when you hear them tell their story it's usually the darkest moments that create the greatest amount of growth yeah and that's what it makes you wonder hey could could i have gone through that would i have been strong enough to make you wonder hey man not only is everybody suffering, the yeah. people that we look up to, but, uh, you know, everybody also has a choice of what to do with it. So, Yep. So so sounds like you want to connect with younger people and give them a different outlook, a different way that they can see life through your eyes. And what's the most important place you want them to start? It sounds like just knowing – what you want to accomplish, like get, get an idea of what the end, where you're going to land and then take one of your awesome names, soul compass right. and find the compass that's going to lead you there. So finding your soul compass is, is, is much just like champion your calling, but in order to champion your calling, you need to find your soul. compass. Your soul compass is where you're at, not just physically, yeah. but mentally, where are you at? And where do you want to be? So in order to get where you're going from where you're at, you need to know where you're at, and you need to shoot a atmosphere to the location in which you're going. 
So in my case, it was go to the gym and lift weights until it hurts. Go home, come back, repeat, repeat. You know, but for other people, it'll be something different. But um, knowing where you're at um, and to get where you're going. What do you think is more important to get to the goal? Figuring out how to push yourself or determining what pulls you? You know, because some people get to where they get to by being able to push themselves through it like you did. Uh, people find what pulls them in a direction rather than having to push themselves. And, and I'll say, you know, there may be an equal amount of both people and they can both reach their full potential with that. I think that's just a personality thing where some people are pulled and some people need to push. Yeah. Either way, they know where they want to go. And they're either getting pulled there regardless of how they feel or they're getting pushed there by themselves, their own will, because it's something that they need to face. They have to face that to accomplish that. They need to negotiate that obstacle in order to feel that, that makes sense. Calling. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. But I could see pulling being something that the pulling could stop. Like all of a sudden, what pulls you might not pull you anymore. Yeah, when you learn about yourself. Indeed, I was pulled. And I was pulled uh, towards lifting weights and body and competing for probably 15 years. It pulled me. How did it pull you? It pulled me. When I say pulled me, I was obsessed. I mean, okay. I slept about, I slept and I dreamt about it. I woke up and it didn't matter how tired I was. If I could sleep three hours after a, four, a 12 hour shift, which is really 14 hours, come home, sleep three hours, wake up, go to the gym, take a shower, go back to work. Like, and this is active. Duty. I could not sleep knowing that I, only had one day to do this. Wow. You lose it when you're when you're a weightlifter, when you're a bodybuilder. Um, you every day is valuable. You you lose a week, you're losing progress. That could be second place. That could be the difference between first and second place. So to to be successful at that, especially for an extended amount of time, something pretty much has to pull you. And or it makes you have sense. To be extraordinarily driven. Yeah. It makes sense that that's a combination because I even see in your example how. Like you were pulled, but man, you had to push yourself to, to sleep three hours and get up and go to the gym. Yes, yeah, something made you want to do that, but I know there had to be a lot of times where you would have rather hit the snooze button. The truth is uh, expectations. Now, this is not necessarily a healthy way to think, but once you win something um, once and the next year you, you are to defend that. Yeah. It tends to make you not ever want to not be on the top of the podium. And it doesn't matter what we're talking about. You could be a great violinist. You could be a great, it doesn't matter what we're talking about, but you want to be in that center place. You yeah. want to be the best. I mean, and it's not, it's not bad if you're not in this. Everybody wants to be. So of course everyone's not going to, but you know, if they want to have it their way, of course you, you want to be the best at what you do. Uh, in the people that you're around. Yeah, that makes sense. Once you win, once you get that feeling, you want to have that feeling again. I mean, some people actually don't. Some people say, hey, that was cool, man. I did it. I won. But me, I was like, yeah, now I can't lose. Yeah, Mr. Iceland. I got to be Mr. Iceland again. Well, yeah. Well, see, that, and that was one of the things, you know, going to Iceland and being able to compete. I didn't plan that. You know, I was ordered to go to Iceland. Yeah, yeah. I want to go to the land of the giants where the... Oh, I was supposed to go to Turkey, and I was like, I don't want to go there. Right. So <laughs> I was able to turn only one set of orders down. I ended up going to a place that uh, probably gave me more growth as a young man than any other place for two years. I was there from 95 to 97. So. What was the hardest part about the first time you weren't Mr. Iceland? You know, you won it two years in a row. What was well, actually, I, I won uh, the Vandenberg, that's in California. I won that two years, uh, 92, 93. And Iceland, I was only at one bodybuilding ice iceland okay the first one i was there i had just gotten there and i was still a middleweight trying to be um, become a, a heavyweight so you're talking about 
a, a light heavyweight. So 171 to 198. Got it. Yeah, it takes a little while, and I'm only gaining six pounds a year of muscle. So to get from the top of your class at 171 to be the top of your class at 198 means you need to weigh about 210 to cut down to 198 and be competitive. So first year I got there, I wasn't heavy enough to do that. So I did powerlifting and won some gold medals and, and broke a bench press record. Um, but then the last Iceland that I was able to be there for, it's held in November of every year in Reykjavik. I did, in fact, dethrone the reigning uh, Mr. Iceland. And uh, Was it hard that next year when you weren't Mr. Iceland, or was it something you right away could just look back at and be proud that you weren't it? Well, the thing was is that I'm in a foreign country. They were speaking a foreign language, even the numbers. The only thing in English they said was Cornelius Walker. Uh, so I was missing all the translation, the people that were screaming my name and hollering for me, uh, they were saying it in different words. There were some Americans obviously, uh, there, but, uh, so I, it's, it's even no, hard to know what place you want until you look on the podium. So they hand you the medal. You're like, wait, is this gold yeah, or so, silver? Right. So, uh, and I was the American, I was the only African-American that ever, um, dethroned a, a reigning uh, bodybuilding champion there. And again, there's only one show uh, per year in bodybuilding at the time, and that was it. And uh, so that was that was an achievement that was so big that it probably didn't hit me till uh, days after what I had just accomplished. What was harder to stop competing or leave the military? There are two probably things, like you said, you knew you wanted to be in the military. Yeah. You also knew you wanted to be a bodybuilder. Yeah. What was harder for you to like step away from professionally? Well, they kind of happen simultaneously. Okay. And, and that makes it suck. Well, along with the divorce and other things. Yeah, everything was the, the band aids. I had three or four band aids that were on there, good and tight. And, yeah. You know, they got ripped off. They at got once. Ripped, yeah, it was like all at once, you know, and fast <laughs> and hard. So I, I was, you know, that's that's serious. And so, uh, and I'm, when I say that, I mean the competitive side. Yeah. Okay, of of my bodybuilding. Um, didn't stop you from working out, but right, you weren't I, I, yeah. competing but anymore. As far as competitive, it, it kind of all ended around the same time. So it was um, tragic. Mentally, uh, yeah, I felt less than. Uh, identity crisis. It was an identity crisis, and you have to figure out who you're going to be. Um, and then, then if you're like me, you're going to try to get back to who you are, and that's when the injuries came, and that made it more. So I technically can't train the way I need to in order to compete and win. Yeah. So who am I now? When you're do something, you're since you're a kid, you join the service, become a bodybuilder, leave your home. The closest I was to home in eight years was Montana. That's the closest I was to home. So that's 2,800 wow. miles. Yeah. Right. So, and then it's all gone and it's, it's you have to reinvent uh, yourself. Yeah. It doesn't mean you change who you are, your morals and all that, but you definitely have to become someone else. Yeah, you can't be the person you're you are when you're you are. <laughs> whether you want to or not. You you can't. Yeah. So that was a a, a tremendous uh, culture shock for me coming back and being a civilian and seeing what people complain about out here. <laughs> it to me, as someone who wasn't in the military, it's even weird when I hear someone say to come back and become a civilian. It's like, oh, oh shit, you you really are a different person when you're in the military. It's like the difference between being a prisoner and a parolee. It's like, nope, you were this, and now you're a civilian. There's even a different name for it. Not that you just went home. You're now a civilian. Yes. So 
that also means that whatever rank that used to matter on your sleeve that people could see without knowing your name or knowing you, yeah, you from anyone, they automatically see you and know how they have to act around you, as well as going to, a, just to say you go to a Wawa, okay? We live in Jersey. There's Wawa's here, right? Sure. You go to a Wawa in uniform. You know how you get treated? Or, the, or how the Duffer Mall? Like I used to go and go to Duffer Mall just to see. Cause I used to see military people in the mall when I was a kid. And you're like, man, one on day, I'm going to come home and leave, man. People salute me. And uh, it was that. It was that. Yeah. You, you, you know, and then the next day, um, be blunt, I'm just a black guy um, today. Yeah. Overnight, you're just a, a black guy. And a big black guy. Yeah. And there's nothing to say that I'm not a bad guy. Yeah. Most big black guys. You went are, from the guy in right. the uniform to the guy who people are now walking to the other side of the street I was, just by becoming a civilian. I was asked two questions, and they were the primary questions. Number one was, "What team do you play for?" Right. Because I'm a big guy, so automatically I play football. Or, "When did you get out?" And they were not talking about military. Yeah, exactly. They were talking about prison. Okay. Right. So I was like, "Neither." That's so offensive. But you know, again, it's. It's really not a bad um, – it, it's not really unless you take it that way because it's business. Like, they're saying you look extraordinary. You must have been somewhere Exactly. That way, even though jail is not so glamorous. It's they're still going, dude, you look like that. You had to sit in a cell and just lift all day every day. <laughs> so in its own way, it's kind of a compliment, I guess. <laughs> uh, that's, you know what? That's part of the reason why I respect you. You're able to turn – most of the negative into positive, even so were you in the NFL or prison. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's good. They really <laughs> see that I'm working strong. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So tell people that are listening where your inspiration came from. You didn't just become Cornelius Walker, person of motivation and inspiration. That started from a young time in your life. It did. It did. It started from not wanting to be in the in the in the place and in the skin uh, and in the situation that I was in. That's because I was a minority, the only um, little black kid up to um, that went to an elementary school from third grade to sixth grade, and then on to you know my senior year of high school, which was still only a few blacks amongst hundreds and hundreds of white. Um, so just not wanting to, um, not to change my identity, but, uh, Want to change say, the I'll, I'll show you, type, you, I'll show you type of, type of way. Like give me a couple of years. I'm going to get my game up, whatever that yeah. is. <laughs> but even when you're a kid, you know, like I gotta be something different. You didn't want to change who you were, but right. you wanted to change the way people saw you. Yeah. And it's, that's so hard to do. When you live where you grew up in Mullica Hill or where you moved to a Mullica Hill, mm-hmm. where I know it's just a, a backwoodsy place yeah. that was very racist. Yeah. So it's hard to change what they're looking at when what they're really looking at is just the color of your skin. Yeah. You're like, all right, you're going to see muscles bouncing out of this skin at right. least. But I will say, and you know, as you know, I was born and uh, raised in a very religious home. Yes. And when I, I mean religious, I mean church three times a week for 18 years. And my father was a deacon, and my mom's the daughter of a Baptist minister. Wow. So it was, it was ingrained in me. And uh, we, I have an older sister, younger brother. We were very good kids. Yeah. I mean, very good kids. And when I say that, I mean, I never had detention in my life squad i was suspended from high school once for going to mcdonald's but in my defense i also married and divorced that woman that i went to mcdonald's with there you so go it was, it was worth it that was it i mean like, if you're going to do something yeah 
So go big or go home. <laughs> yeah. Man, now I was the opposite. You know, I was the white kid who got in all the trouble. I was in detention more than I wasn't in detention. Yeah. Yeah. So to see a guy, and and if people looked at me and you next to each other, they would probably be like, "Oh, geeky white guy. He probably never got right, never got suspended." He, they the look guy. at you, go, "You were probably suspended a lot." Where it's like, no, right, right. I mean, there was careful there was, like, what you four, look. Four years that I got uh, the perfect attendance award. That means you didn't miss one day of school for four years out of my. Um... And that's insane because <laughs> if I would have been the little black dude that everybody called the N word, I'd have been finding every reason not to go to school. Good luck with my mom, though, and my dad. Is that what it was? It wasn't that you wanted to go every day? It was that you had to have a limb hanging off to not go to school? That is exactly what you had to have hanging off to not go to school. Yeah. My parents were ever raised, you know, they're, you know we, they're well off, and, and believe me, we um, that was another thing. We When we moved to Mullica Hill, we didn't just move to Mullica Hill um, on Main Street, and we had a brand-new, beautiful house that no one ever lived in before us. Wow. And, 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 and what I didn't know is that some of the people that um, – had hate towards the situation. I'm not going to say they hate me because you have to know me to hate me. So. Yeah. I, I know that now. I didn't know that then. Of course. Right well, when you just have hate spewed yeah. at you, you got to figure it out. So the poor, the more poor racist white kids that didn't have a beautiful home, that was more reason for them to hate me. In my eyes, yeah. I'm like, no, I come from a good home. You should see my house. I'm like, yeah, that's exactly why. <laughs> exactly. You should see my house. Right. We trade. But I didn't know that. So like, it just didn't. It didn't make sense, but that's good because ignorance is bliss. And when you're a young kid, kids are very resilient. And I, I attribute to getting through that as being um, ignorant to the fact that sometimes when I was being um, dissed on or disrespected, uh, I didn't exactly get the words that they were using to hurt me, the, the slang and the, the racial slurs. So a lot of it went over my head. And that yeah, didn't go over thank my head. God. I was like, they're just saying that because I'm me, and one day I'll figure it out. Yep. Yeah. So, Neil. You're so big in working out, and you know that's such a part of your life. For people who are listening who want to figure out how they can transform their life, if that's part of it, fitness, where do you start? You know, is it about weights? Is it about certain type of exercise? Is it a mix of everything? If you want to turn your life around and it's your body that needs to change, where do you start? Well, again, you start with what you're calling us. What are you trying to do? What are you trying to accomplish? What are you trying to be? Okay. Got it. How about that? So in saying that, of course, if you want to be a bodybuilder, you're lifting weight going to be your MO, right? Um, but if you just want to be an athlete, you know, your exercise regimen will, will change. There'll be more diversity in it different exercises. What if you're just not in shape at all? You're, you're 50 pounds overweight. You never really hit the gym, but you realize now you need to turn that around. Is it, you know, getting in a group and doing cardio? Is it finding a buddy who can be your spot guy and you can be his spot guy and getting there together? Where would you tell people who want to turn their body around and don't know where to start? Like where's zero on I'm overweight and out of shape and want to change it? Well, um, everyone's different. And me personally now, I train solo. So it's easier for me with my knowledge and my own home gym to do what I need to do alone. But some people do need that, um, that partner or class, you know, so that they can train and get the best out of their routines as well. Um, 
And if you don't know what you're doing, I would suggest, um, but no matter what you do, you need to be physically fit. Sure. Period. Even just to get through life. For life. You don't get out of it alive, but just for life. the better shape you're in, the longer you may hang around in it. And the better quality of life. We're not just looking for longevity. Who wants to live long but really do nothing? Yeah. Listen, I believe in the live full, die empty theory. Yeah. I mean, I have had eight surgeries um, and all, you know. Bodybuilding related or? No. Okay. Because I'm a bodybuilder, my, my tendons, joints are thrashed. Yeah. From the, the heavy workloads over years, you know. But, um, that's what it is. You have to, it's going to happen. Yeah. Know? Like, uh, I can't train the way I used to. Injuries happen and you got to be careful with that. What percentage of your maximum training can you still do now? Like when you were best, if that's a hundred percent at a hundred percent of you now, what percentage of your height, you know, your, your, your peak is that? Like, can you work out the 50% of what you could do? With your... to say, it's probably about 65. Okay. But I was an extreme um, with my, um, the way I went about being a, a powerlifter and a bodybuilder. And for instance, in 1993, before I defended my middleweight title um, at Vandenberg, uh, the Saturday before that, I went to Las Vegas and competed at the Nellis Bodybuilding Contest. Okay. Took the middleweight championship there, and the show up to defend my title. I'd won in '92, um, and I did that the, the next week. So two weeks back to back. Two weeks in a row, you got to be champion. Yeah, yeah. And one was defending a championship, and the other's gaining a championship. Right, right. What's the most proud you are of an accomplishment? Which one is the one that you look back now at, at you know, forty something, and go, "Damn, I did that." I'm going to say winning the 90 kilogram championship um, high school yeah. was the biggest. And I'm going to tell you for more than one reason. Number one, I was the best I ever looked. Yeah. And I was the height of my class, under 200 pounds. And man, it's Iceland. That's where everybody thinks of right. the biggest, baddest dudes in the world. And you got to be the champion. And yeah. I'm sure you were one of the few black people that competed. I was the only. The only. <laughs> Again or yeah, there you go, the being the only American, black guy. Yeah, <laughs> You're like, I've been here before. I know what it's like to be the only black guy. Watch me win. And again, that's, that was setting me up. My life was setting me up for that moment. Yeah. Here's the thing, though. Yes, I won. But what does it say about the people? Now, I'm in a foreign country. I'm standing next to the reigning defending champion. And the panel of judges, four judges, gave me the win across the board. Yeah. Now, I'm impressed with that. I was more impressed with that they gave it to me. I knew I deserved it after seeing. Still didn't myself. think they were going to give it to you. You've been at a place before where you're I'm like, not gonna def- "I'm not." I mean, I've, I haven't lost yet. This was the night I'm going to probably take a second. Yeah. Or just because. And you would have been proud of a second, probably. No, I actually wouldn't. But- really? Because <laughs> you knew you should have won. Right, right. You're like, damn these races again. I contest. I could win, and that's why I never lost a contest. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Is that just your mindset, or did you purposely go, "I can win this"? Did you ever go, "I can't win this one"? I'm not. I'm not signing up or did yeah, you just, I, you have, I have turned down shows cause I, it's like, I'm not, my work was usually, it wasn't that I couldn't do it. it was yeah. I'm going to be deployed for like two months. Yeah. I can't be I at be my training best. where I'm at in the world. So I won't have the time. 
that picture I've seen of you standing on top of a tank with a machine gun. Yeah. Was that at your biggest, like close to your biggest? Cause dude, that everyone who I've showed that because it's a picture that's a little bit far away right. and it kind of almost looks like a cartoon. Right. So few people believe that's even a real person, what your waist was right. compared to what your chest the was. The truth is, is that was not anywhere near the biggest I ever got. I was probably wow. 210 pounds in that picture. And what it was though, and, and this is just, dimensions just to give you an idea yeah if you have a 50 inch chest yeah and a 28 inch waist and you're 510 yeah with an 18 and a half 19 inch neck you know just because I, i'm a small person i started as a very small endomorph frame of a person very muscular no fat when i got big my waist didn't i kept my body fat percentage low so just the way that uh, my, i'm genetically built made me look twice as big as than I was because when your your V shape comes down to a like an actual V to a twenty eight inch waist and my, and my quads, which is crazy for when I competed in, in ninety six for the Iceland, I had a twenty seven inch waist. I got it down lower for wow. twenty seven inch waist, but I had twenty eight inch quads. Your quad one individual quad one, right, was, was bigger than your waist. waist. So, and, and, and again, I, I don't really say I really never had to do abs that hard. It's just genetic. I come from very little people. If I didn't work out, I'd be very little person. So that's just, I'm blessed. In yeah, man. When I saw you next to your father, I, when I first met your father, I'm like, I'm going to meet this giant man that Neil came from. Yeah, no, and I meet this very small, five, five, seven, crazy, you know, like little guy, five, six, really five, six, five, seven. My mom's only four foot 11. Right. Wow. Right, right, right. So, you know, I graduated high school in the 160s, you know, and I, and I was the strongest at that time, the strongest person I had ever gone to that school. I, I put up 400 pounds before I left. And, um, As a 160-pound guy, you put up 400 pounds. Yeah. So that's why once I got to Iceland years later, 96, um, I was able to put up, you know, over 500, but I was also uh, 40 pounds heavier. So growing up, you, you went through a lot of times where you felt like your race was kind of held against you or used as a way to judge you. Was there anywhere that you thought that was going to stop, but it didn't? Or was there anywhere that you didn't feel racism, whether it was getting to the military, being a bodybuilder, being a bodybuilder in Iceland? Was, where was the place that either surprised you most that it still was there? Or surprised you the most that you didn't feel that negative racism as much as you did in your past? Um, I, it surprised me when I thought that when you join the military, you're all green. Yeah. Um, I was surprised that that's not in all cases. True. It is in most, though. And it's a very positive you know, um, experience for me in, in that regard. Um, um, but I was also very disappointed and surprised that once I got out of civilian and became a civilian overnight, that I, I immediately Lost went from that. Sergeant Walker to black guy. Yeah. Um, who knows what? And I'm like, it, to me, I just spent a decade of my life down there that just, you know, serving my country and being, you know, the best I could be. But now you're just right back in general population. Um, is, yeah. And, and you can't even tell people without looking crazy. Yeah. You know, like, they're just like, yeah, whatever. I used to get, oh, thank you, sir. Have a good day because I'm yeah. in uniform. Yeah, yeah. You know, here's your change. They don't even make eye contact. Right. So. And I know in your very young life, it was hard for you with racism, not just from kids that were mean, 
from teachers, you know, people in a position where you wouldn't expect them to be racist or show that. Did you feel that in the military? Did you get that from people above you or was it more just people in the service with you? I did, in fact, have um, a a couple supervisors in my um, time that definitely had a problem with race uh, and, you know, it, it couldn't be too, you know, overt. But you knew that it was it was motivated. You felt it. it was, yeah, it was definitely motivated by that, and people, it was a well known fact. You know yeah. what it is. But but here's the thing, that's life. Yeah, that, that is life. I mean, I'm not trying to sugarcoat it either, but that's life. You're going to get that everywhere, and that's one thing I found out that just holds true. And it doesn't matter what you're doing. Uh, the human the humanistic side comes out in some people. So Neil, what message do you want to give young people? Like what? What do you want to give young people as just a snippet of you that they can understand what they'll by listening to Cornelius Walker and your podcast? So, you know, when I was young, I truly, I truly thought it was just me. I was alone. Um, and in, in ways I was. Uh, but here's the thing. It's not necessarily always a bad thing. Okay. Um, your situation is temporary. And if you follow your heart, if you, if you champion your calling, figure out what your calling is, and you follow your heart, um, whatever you're going through now will serve a purpose later. I, I promise you. I'm not just saying it. I promise you. Whatever you're going through now, whatever struggle you're going through now, it's going to serve a purpose for you later. It's strengthening for you later. You need to not necessarily embrace it because, you know, when life stinks, you don't want to hug it. Yeah. <laughs> but you need to analyze it and process it learn from it don't forget it yeah it will serve you later it will serve you later and many times over for that yeah not just once it's going to serve you later it's going to make your life better you'll make better decisions you'll be able to be the you you want to be Uh, not just by that but that's definitely one of the things you need to do you need to know what your calling is you need to to figure out what you need to go about getting it you need to go get it and go be you Nobody can be you better than you everybody to be happy and to if you don't have to love each other and you know this is not realistic be, be kind to, to one another yeah right? and, and that's it but be kind to yourself first and it tends to make it easier to be kind to other people yeah look in yeah yep. all right cornelius walker proud to be a part of your first podcast check out champion your calling in future episodes by the way if you have any insight questions top you want neil to cover you can email him at C Skywalker. That's C is in Cornelius, then Skywalker is in Luke. The number three at AOL.com. Follow him on Facebook. He's Neil Cornelius Walker. I am proud to have been a part of your first podcast. Can't wait for more. And really just think, Neil, you've got so many messages that you need to get out there. And I'm so happy that you wanted to be to our youth because I feel like that's who needs it most. And you could shave 20 years off of someone's life, off of someone's time in the, the prison of not living by just understanding some things that you could share with them now that, uh, man, if not, they'll be 46 like you and wishing they knew it 20 years earlier. So Thank you, Sir Eric Butts, for having me. It's been an honor. All right. We'll be back again. Cornelius Walker, champion your calling. Check him out on future podcasts. YouTube episodes, more to come from Neil.
bridge separates South Beach from my Miami. The real Miami. The MIU. This is where we hustle. Every day I'm hustling. 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 Every day I'm every day I'm every day I'm hustling. Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life. And that's how she wrote. <laughs> 